One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Be to God. Let us pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord, in these few weeks together, we're studying your seven last words, the words spoken from the cross. And we are reminded that often the most important words that anyone speaks are their last words. So, Lord, these words are very important for us to hear and most importantly for us to understand. So, in these few moments together, as we consider the second of your seven words, may we open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to say. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Crucifixion um, was um, a really uh, horrible way to die. Uh, the Roman Empire uh, created this form of execution to make it painful and long-suffering. And it, it was meant to be a deterrent for uh, crimes against the empire. Um, as much as it was meant to uh, punish uh, someone who had broken the law, it was meant really to deter others from doing the same. And so often these crucifixions would be held in along roadways, along thoroughfares, places uh, where people couldn't miss it. And often the bodies would hang on the cross for days after, after the people had died. I think it's kind of um, appropriate that if you go to Israel today, to Jerusalem, one of the sites that's uh, considered by some to possibly be the the place of the skull, Golgotha, uh, that hillside you can see in the in the slide that we're showing you now, you can see the skull in the background. It, what's so appropriate, it seems to me, is it's right now, right on the edge of a bus station, <laughs> uh, kind of a thoroughfare for the world. Uh, tourists come through that, that uh, bus station. And so there, this place where perhaps Christ had died on the cross, um, was a very public place. That is right on the outside of uh, Old Jerusalem, the wall of Old Jerusalem. Now, people who were crucified, they didn't usually die by blood loss or, or thirst or anything like that. They, they died of asphyxiation. Um, they would, you know, finally giving up their strength they would just kind of lower their heads and their diaphragm would close up and they would, they would basically suffocate. Um, 
That, that's why, if you may recall from one of, one of the scriptures where uh, the gospel writer speaks of Jesus bowing his head and breathing his last. It's because when he finally bowed his head, he, he lowered his head and he died. Um, that's also why they would break the legs of those who were crucified because the soldiers would finally just get impatient um, and maybe they wanted to move on. And so they wanted to make sure the person on the cross was completely dead. And in order to do that, they needed them to lower their heads. And so they would break their legs so they could no longer use their, their legs to push their diaphragm up. And so they would lower their heads and die. Now, of course, we all know that two men in particular were crucified on either side of Jesus when he was hung on the cross on Golgotha. Um, my guess is they did a lot of squirming and trying to keep their heads up, they, t- turning their heads around. It, it, it kind of makes me uh, think, though, it's not a- anything similar. But as a child, uh, when I had my tonsils taken out as a, uh, as a uh, toddler, uh, I remember it, in those days they used ether, not uh, not the kinds of anesthesias that uh, are available today. And so they would put this mask over your face, and then and the natural kind of inclination is turn your head, get away from that that smell. And it was in that very turning of the head that causes one to kind of breathe in the ether, and then you go to sleep. Um, as much as they may have turned their heads and done some turning on the cross, I would like to suggest they did a lot of spiritual turning. And my guess is that spiritual turning began long before they ever got on the cross in the first place, these two criminals. First of all, I'd like to suggest that they turned away. They turned away from God. The the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, the translation that uh, was read for us this morning, uh, translates the name for these two individuals as criminals. They're criminals. Uh, in the King James Version, they're called malefactors. But they, that word that's used for these two individuals could very well have uh, been translated as thieves or robbers or bandits. But maybe to really understand who they were, it would best be translated as terrorists. They were terrorists. They, in, in our understanding of terrorism, we, we think of people who kill to often in the name of God, but in the name of some kind of cause in order to affect some kind of change in society, to kind of, you know, to kind of the do battle um, And these two were probably very much like Barabbas, who was considered a zealot. If you remember, Barabbas was the one that the people had had to choose between either having Jesus crucified or Barabbas. And they chose, of course, Jesus to crucify him. And Barabbas was set free. Barabbas was a zealot. A zealot was simply one who fought, who drew the sword to fight against the Roman occupation of Israel. And so they were fighting for God. They were doing God's battle, these zealots, these terrorists. In in essence, these two individuals could very well have been people who were simply trying to say, God, since you're not going to bring about 
the kingdom of Israel as we expect, we're going to bring it about with our own might. So you see, they turned away from God. They turned away from God's providence and they tried to put, take things into their own hands. They didn't need God. All they needed was a sword. They would do it themselves. Well, the truth is, you and I, we turn away from God as well when we try to go it alone. Oh, we don't necessarily pick up a gun or a, or a sword or anything like that. We may not be considered a zealot in that sense of the word, but whenever we think we can go through life fixing all the problems and, and taking life in our own hands, thinking that we don't need God and we don't need anybody else, then that's when we turn away from God. And we fight other people as though, as though God needs us to fight for God, as though God cannot do the battle. And, and we think we've got to hate and we've got to force our will on others because we feel like it's all dependent upon us. We turn away when we turn away from other people when we try to go it alone. Well, these, uh, these criminals also turned against God, not just simply ignoring God or pretending that God was not needed, but actually turning against God, making God the enemy. If you remember, Luke says that one of the cr- criminals kept uh, deriding Jesus. Are you not the Messiah? He, he calls out, save yourself and us. He's angry with Jesus. You're supposed to be the son of God. You're the Messiah. You should, you should fix this. You should save us and save yourself. He's turned against God. He's, he's looking for blame. He's not looking at why he ended up on the cross and what he did to get himself there. He sounds a lot like the, the so-called leaders, the religious leaders that we can assume were Pharisees. What they say, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. They're all just kind of turning against him, whether it be the soldiers or the crowd who said crucify him or, or the, this one criminal on one side of him on a cross or the Pharisees, the religious folks down below. He saved others, let him save himself. It makes me think of Mary and Martha you know, it's easy to kind of, you know, say, oh, that's the way the Pharisees were. That's the criminal. That's the Roman soldiers. That's Pontius Pilate. But even the friends of Jesus turned against him. Remember Mary and Martha, they, their brother Lazarus died. In fact, when he was ill, they, they called on Jesus to come and be with him, maybe to help him out of his sickness. And Jesus deliberately stayed longer where he was before he came. He wanted to make sure Lazarus was dead because he had a, he had a point to make. He wanted, he wanted to show the power of God. And so when he comes to Bethany, Mary, Martha, I think, comes out to greet him and she's angry with him. And the very first words out of her mouth is, if only you had been here, my, our brother would not have died. Why didn't you come sooner? As if to say, you can't do anything now, he's dead. If you'd come when we called you. So even Martha had turned against Jesus. And then Mary, Mary, you would think, oh, now she understands Jesus. She was the one who sat at his feet. And, you know, she she understands. She'll come. When she comes from the house and she meets Jesus, the very first words out of her her mouth are the same as Martha. If only you had been here, 
our brother would not have died. So you see, even the friends of Jesus turn against him, even those who love him. Basically, you see, all of them are saying God is powerless. If God can't send an army and fix things the way we want it fixed, then God has no relevance in my life. We turn against God too, don't we? We want God to cure a disease. Or maybe we want God to get rid of crime or, or to prevent the kind of killing we saw in Florida. Maybe we want God to get rid of all the pain in our, in our lives. No accidents, no war, no suffering. We want relationships that don't require any work on our part. We want life to be like that paradise of Adam and Eve where everything is getting along just fine. If God won't give us what we want, then we turn against God. So we're no better than the criminal who turned against God. But at least one of the criminals did something different. He turned inward. He, he kind of started looking at himself rather than just blaming God or ignoring God. He started looking at himself. In verse 41, he says, we indeed have been condemned justly, for we're getting what we deserve for our deeds. You have to give him credit for his honesty, don't you? That he realized that he deserved to be on that cross beside Jesus. He's looked inward and he's seen the truth of his own life. How many of us are willing to do the same thing? How many of us are willing to look in the mirror and honestly look inward at ourselves? It's much easier to play the victim and blame other people for our troubles or for why we're where we are in our lives. I wonder what life would be like if we really did get what we deserve. You know, we, we say, I didn't deserve this. I don't deserve the, the situation that I find myself in. But I've always said, what, what if we really did get what we deserve? I've always said, if I, if I get an undeserved speeding ticket, I'm not going to argue it because there are so many I should have gotten that I didn't. One criminal turned inward and he found it was the first step that finally he was beginning to take that would turn him in the right direction, which was outward. You see, the real turning point in his life was when he started turning outward toward God. You know, it's, it's interesting. Only Luke tells the story of this man turning toward Jesus and saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know, I, I want to be where you are. I want to be a part of the world that you are shaping. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, think about that. What, what the criminal says is, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. But Jesus answers, truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. He doesn't use the word kingdom. The word paradise is used only three times in the New Testament. Only three times. The Greek word that's translated paradise here. Three times. And, and Jesus only uses it one time, and it's right here. He doesn't ever speak the word paradise anywhere else in the New Testament except here. 
Now he does talk a lot about the kingdom. In fact, the word for kingdom is found 162 times in the New Testament. To Jesus, you see, paradise and kingdom are the same. And why, why does he use paradise now, of all times, in all places, when, when this man who has deserved to be crucified is saying, I want to be in your kingdom, remember me there. When you get into your kingdom, remember me. And, and Jesus says, well, today you're going to be in paradise. You're going to be in that place that God intended for all of us to be from the, from the beginning of time. It's what God intended for the world. It's what God intended for creation. And that's, he's saying, today you're going to be there. You don't have to wait until some other day, but right now, today. You see, when the criminal started turning outward toward God's kingdom, wanting to be remembered there, Jesus made it clear that it would be open to him right then. You see, the kingdom of God for Jesus was not just some far off place, but it was a here and now kind of place. He often talked all the parables that he used. Most of his ministry, 90% of his ministry was about talking about the kingdom of God. And always he was talking about this realm that was within us and among us. It was not just something personal, but it was something corporate. It was something we would share together. And it was, it, was a, it, it was meant to be a kingdom that was full of love and mercy and justice. A, a place that God intended all of us to be from the very beginning. So my question to you is, which way are you turning? In your life right now, are you turning away from God? Are you saying, I don't need God? Or are you, are you turning against God and blaming God? I, you know, um, early in my ministry one of the pillars of our church, a widow, uh, was murdered, brutally murdered in her home. And one of the people who uh, went to that home as an EMT was another member of our, our church. And for many, many years, he could never enter the doors of the church again because of what he saw in that home. He was so angry with God. How can you allow one of your servants to have this happen to them? Well, sometimes that's the way we are in our lives. We're, we're so angry with God. We turn against God because of the pain in our lives. Which way are you turning? Away from God? Against God? Or maybe are you taking that first step toward looking inward at yourself and we're at your own fallibility and your own need for God? And are you at the point that you're ready to turn outward? toward God's kingdom. You see, the kingdom of God, paradise, as Jesus calls it, is right now. It's not just some far-off place. It's within and among us. But the way to that kingdom is narrow and it's hard. In fact, Jesus said, if you want to follow me to the kingdom, then you've got to take up your cross and follow me. So which way are you turning? It's never too late to turn toward God. If you do, God will say to you, as he said to the criminal, truly I tell you, today you've been with me. You will be with me in paradise. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us for all the times that we either try to go it alone or try to go it as though you don't exist. 
Help us to look inside our own hearts and realize that God hole that's there, that hole that only you can fill. And then turn us outward and help us to live our lives in the kingdom that you have prepared for all of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.